Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. So going over some of the, uh, just the mechanics of the way the caucus operates, but also some of the rumors that are out there and the expectations, the narrative crafting. To me, the caucus is a measure of the ground game. How uh, organized can a campaign be in order to get people out to participate in a uh, in a vote where you like literally like write down the people's names and stuff and you make speeches in defense of your candidate and then you cast all your votes within this short window, but you have to be present to do so. At least for the Republicans, the Democrats abandoned it. They they all theirs is just all mail in now. <laughs> they went to straight mail in, isn't that? Yeah, pretty on the nose there. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Terry, welcome to the program. Thanks for hanging on. What's going on, Terry? Hey, Pete. Hey. I, I, I listen to you every day. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate and, you. Um, <clears throat> I do have a comment. Um, uh, there's an old saying that uh, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies even closer. Um, does my comment have any merit on why uh, there's this rumor going around that uh, Nikki Haley might be a running mate of Donald Trump? Uh, or does I, that I, make any sense at all? I don't know. You're the wordsmith. I don't know. No, no. no I, it's, it's a fair question. No, it's, a, it's totally a fair question. I don't know either. Um, again, just a rumor that's making the rounds up in D.C., um, and in apparently down in Florida, but all of the camps know this, and all of these endorsements have been coming now fast and furious in the last 24 hours, and that's being attributed to the uh, to the belief in this rumor that Trump is going to name Haley, and he's going to do it after New Hampshire, but before South Carolina, so this way she doesn't get embarrassed and humiliated uh, in her home state, finishing third, you know, or fourth. Yeah. So uh, because that would be damaged goods then to Donald Trump. The 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 key there is. That he has, you know, the, the the MAGA wing, and she has this other wing of like neocons uh, and never Trumpers, but that somehow or another she brings in a, a, the female suburban vote or something. Like that's the idea. Oh yeah, I see your point. Right. So like, there's obviously some there's a value there to the Trump campaign. I don't think it's strictly. Uh, she's my enemy, so I want to keep her closer. Well, I mean, you got a lot of enemies. You can put them on the ticket with you, right? Um, yeah. Why not just Why not just beat her and then have her go away? Uh, then you don't have to worry about her any any longer. So there's there's got to be some value perceived by the Trump campaign to bring her on board. If in fact this is this is a true rumor, which I don't know it to be, I, I find it hard to believe. Um, but then again, Donald Trump has made some really bad personnel decisions over the course of his political career, so it would be sort of in line with that. Well, thank you for answering that question. I was, I, I just you know threw something in there and see. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know if I, you know, Terry. I, look, your your guess literally is as good as mine. 
it, it, you could have nailed the, uh, the rationale for it if the rumor is true. You could be right. I don't know. So, okay. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, man. And I will continue listening to you every day. Well, thank you. I do appreciate that. Because I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's it. The board people, uh, they listen to my show. Right. Oh, no. Don't say that. <laughs> All right. Terry, thanks, buddy. Good to hear from you. All right. Thank you. Take care. Um, there's another interesting uh, facet that I saw. And I was not aware of this until last night. Apparently, hundreds of people that worked for Governor DeSantis in Florida took today off, or they're off because of the MLK holiday. They, they took the day, and they have flown on their own dime. They, they flew to Iowa, and they've been knocking on doors and they've been packing the the event spaces where he's doing speeches and stuff and they're caucusing for him they can't vote but they're they're you know cheering his positions and his candidacy and that sort of stuff that to me like, i'm not sure i've ever heard of such a thing where a, a a a sitting governor or any elected official for that matter has hundreds of state employees that spend their own money to go to another state to convince other people to um, to make him the nominee of the party. Now, you could say that that shows uh, incredible faith and loyalty in DeSantis and his skills and that they want for the country what they have in Florida. Or I guess you could say that maybe they're like, oh, my gosh, get this guy out of our state. Like they don't <laughs> they don't want to work for him anymore. No, no, they no, they there's they claim they're doing it because they think he's awesome. I don't know what kind of impact that has, you know, but you're in a caucus hall. Is that what they call them? Caucus hall? A caucus space? A venue. And you've got hundreds of people there? That creates a bit of, um, there's a uh, what's called the preference cascade. You've heard of this term, right, where uh, first you have your early adopter and everybody thinks they're kind of crazy. And uh, then you get a couple of followers, a couple of people that are like, no, no, he's not crazy. I'm doing it too. And then at some point there's this break point. And so begins the preference cascade. It just becomes like the, the, the flood gates are opened, you know? And so the, and that it's due to a peer pressure kind of a, a psychology going on there. So I, I do wonder, like you're in this room and you've got like, half of the room all for this one guy, does that move people in a caucus setting? I don't know. Um, there's going to be a effort, an effort, to pitch this message, but ultimately it's not that big of a puzzle, says one of my favorite accounts on Twitter, LOL, nothing matters. <laughs> and it's true. Um, to win, a candidate would have to split the... Trump vote, his fans, you'd have to split some of them away while also consolidating the never-Trump vote. This was a long shot that failed, partially due to consolidation of the former behind Trump, so the, the, the Trump fans, they consolidate behind Trump after the indictments. Partially due to the refusal of the never-Trumpers to recognize the need for compromise 
with the only Trumpers. DeSantis counted on the never-Trumpers to self-mobilize, leaving him able to focus his efforts to court the soft Trump vote. Instead, he was forced into a multi-front campaign while Trump and Haley were able to focus on their specific lanes. And I think that's a pretty astute analysis. Right? DeSantis was trying to say, look, I, uh, you're, you like Donald Trump, that's fine. The entire point of supporting DeSantis was that he could be both of those things. He'd appeal to those who hate Trump without alienating the people who are willing to vote for Trump. But because you had candidates like Chris Christie and Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy, right? You had these candidates. Oh, and Burgum. No, I'm kidding about Burgum. But um, it forced him into having to try to fight both of these fronts at the same time. And Trump knowing that DeSantis was his biggest challenger. And so tens of millions of dollars dumped against DeSantis in order to brand him in a negative way. Along with paying all of the influencers like that moonbat lunatic, Laura Loomer. Um, there was there was a multi-pronged strategy to destroy DeSantis's brand in order to elevate Trump, right? And because he's now he's getting it from the MAGA world, but he's also trying to position himself to win people from the uh, from the MAGA club. But he's also trying to win people from the Never Trump crowd. So he has to he has to make attacks on Trump, but he always tries to frame it in policy, you know. Trump promised this, he didn't deliver. He promised that, he didn't deliver. So he was always focusing on that, although I saw yesterday he's now said, look, you could be the worst Republican, the least conservative in in America, but as long as you kiss the ring, Donald Trump will praise you. And maybe he should have said some of that stuff earlier on. I don't know. I don't think it would have mattered. I think the indictments really did it. I really do. I think, and by the way, I think the Democrats know this. I think Democrats know. I mean, it's sort of like it's a it's a it's a twofer for the Democrats. On the one hand, they get all of that halo effect inside the left wing circles for indicting Trump for going after him after being out of office for three years. Right now you go after him. So you get you get all of that love from the left. And if you're Fannie Willis, you get also the trips with your lover. But um, and I, I, I will get to that story. But um Not only do you get that, you also get Trump elevated inside the primary because I believe that Democrats want Trump as the nominee. They believe they can beat him again with Joe Biden. That's my read on it. I could be wrong. Andy says, I am not voting for a Trump-Haley ticket if there's a chance that Haley could be the nominee. Uh, Lawrence says on Twitter, it's a Pete tweet. He says, uh, oh, and he even, thank you. He even hashtagged it. Pete tweet. We have Trump. (laughs) He says, we have Trump who triggers everyone for still being alive. We have Ron who picks fights with Mickey mouse. And then there's Nikki Haley. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Um, That is, it is true. Yeah, Trump does trigger just triggers people just by existing. That is, that is fair. 
You know me, I'm not big into polls. I don't uh, I don't read them all the time. I'm more interested in trends. However, this is one that's being held up today because it's the last one, the last one to come out. So ostensibly, this is the one that should make it truthier. Right? Uh, but it's NBC, Des Moines Register. They put this poll out, and apparently they do it every year or every uh, right before every caucus. And anyway, so people hold this thing up as if it's of value. I make no such representation or endorsement of it because it is simply a snapshot, and I don't trust who did it. But this top line I find to be fairly interesting. Half of Nikki Haley's voters in Iowa, half of her voters self-identify as independents or Democrats. <laughs> half. Half. Which means what? That means they're not they're not voting for her over Biden. You think they vote for her over Biden? Really? But maybe they think maybe people think that this is the path forward. A Republican that's going to get independent and Democrat crossover votes. Maybe. 77% of her voters have an unfavorable view of Trump. Possible that her own unfavorable spike with caucus goers is tied to her increasing consolidation of the anti-Trump vote. One other notable finding about Haley's coalition in our Iowa poll, says Steve Kornacki from NBC, we asked her supporters... Who would they back in a Trump-Biden general election? Biden 43, Trump 23. Right. So these are not votes that Trump can even get, which is fueling this rumor that he puts her on the ballot in order to make himself more attractive to the, the suburban female Republican and moderate voters. There are people out there saying DeSantis should have appealed to those never-Trumpers instead of, like, the larger share that are okay with Trump or love Trump, right? And I admit I don't understand that strategy either. Why would you just go for the never-Trump? Chris Christie was in that lane, and he took up a lot of that lane. Nikki Haley's taken up a lot of that lane, and all of the movement that you saw recently to her from the big-time corporate donors that DeSantis was slamming her over in that last debate, this is this is why the rumor is about the establishment, quote-unquote, aligning with Donald Trump and MAGA. This is from um, a pro-DeSantis account, Return to Normalcy which is, I think, a joke. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of this theory? I'm just throwing all these theories out there. I'm not endorsing any one of them. After this is all done, you know, then we're going to have the people that were following the campaigns around and had secret deals to not report and not tell us stuff until after the conclusion of the race. And then they'll write their book so they can make money off of deceiving everybody about what, what all was happening. He says, Trump has already decided on Haley. The cult is going to suck it all up. Trump needs access to Haley's donors. Haley can help Trump with suburban white women. Establishment can control Trump and Haley. 
Even if Trump has to drop out at the convention due to legal issues, the RNC will tell their delegates to vote Haley on second ballot, and then Haley pardons Trump. That's that's the rumor. I do have some more messages to get to. This is from Tim. Tim writes, Pete, what does it say about Nikki Haley when Democrats are showing up to vote for her in Iowa? Heck, she can't even win in her home state of South Carolina. If I were Trump, I would make sure I had a food taster if the Republicans managed to put her on the ticket with Trump. Can't fix stupid. Well, I mean, it would be up to Trump to do that, right? If he's making a deal, and he loves making deals, right? He's transactional like that, so I don't know that. And look, it's possible that this rumor is just, as I think Gigi mentioned in the last hour, that it's a psychological warfare. It's a psyop. Um being run by the DeSantis folks. That's possible, too, I guess. It's pretty elaborate. But we'll find out in a couple days, <laughs> right? Um, we're going to find out tonight, though. That's what I want to see tonight. I want to see the results tonight and, and see, okay, was the polling correct? Was it close? Or was it way off? And, of course, if it was way off, then we're going to be treated to accusations that it was stolen, right? Because that's, that's par for the course. And so then nothing matters. Ben says, Pete, with what you were saying about the ground game, I think it will hurt Trump because he's spending so much money on his defense with all the legalities that's against him. And DeSantis has people that are going to get people to the polls. What's your take? That's possible. Look, I've also heard Donald Trump's hardcore supporters. They will crawl through broken glass to vote for this guy. He literally told them. I think yesterday we played the soundbite during one of the newscasts, and I get it. Like, he's joking, but also kind of, he's like, oh, it's super cold. It's going to be like 14 below zero or something with the winds, like 40 below. And he says, you know, you should go out and vote for me. You know, if you pass away, oh, well, (laughs) but at least you voted, you know. For Trump, it, it, like, and I, I get, I get what he's saying. It's a joke. I get it. And he, he, he never really cracks a smile. And so when he delivers these lines, people who have no sense of humor in the first place, aka the left, uh, they always misread what he's saying. Like with the, hey Russia, why don't you take a look at Hillary's server? And to the left and the and the media, but I repeat myself, they they were like, oh my gosh, he's calling on Russia to hack her. No. It, that was a joke, people. Like I understood that was a joke. Caucus participants. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Let me go back to... Uh... Oh, yeah. So the email about the ground game. Yes. Um, from what I understand and from the reports I have seen, so I'm not in Iowa, so I cannot personally attest to this, but it seems like DeSantis has built a very formidable ground game there. Does that translate into a victory tonight? Does it translate into a... A loss or a very close loss. Look, if Trump clears 50% and beats DeSantis or Haley or anybody who comes in second and beats them by more than 13 points or whatever, then yeah, it's probably over. But I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe DeSantis says, you know what? I'm going to hang around. I'm going to hang around. I'm going to keep going because however these court cases work out, Trump might not be able to run. So... Yeah, there's a lot of stuff unknown. 
Caucus participants are going to gather inside more than 1,500 schools, churches, and community centers to debate their options, in some cases for hours, before casting secret ballots. Associated Press reports, with the coldest temperatures in caucus history expected and dangerous travel conditions in virtually every corner of the rural state, the campaigns are bracing for a low turnout contest that will test the strength of their support and their organizational muscle. After Iowa, the Republican primary shifts to New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. On the eve of the caucuses, Trump predicted he would set a modern-day record for an Iowa Republican caucus with a margin of victory exceeding the nearly 13 percentage points that Bob Dole earned in 1988. He also sought to downplay expectations that he would earn as much as 50% of the total. So he's, so he's predicting the biggest margin, more than 13 points, but wants to tamp down the expectations of 50%. <laughs> okay. We'll see how that works out. Um, AP also has a breakdown, or a rundown, I should say, of um, of what is a caucus. What's a caucus? A political caucus is a gathering of people with a shared interest or goal. The Iowa caucuses are a series of local meetings held throughout the states where participants conduct party business and usually indicate their preference for a presidential nominee to represent the party. It's also the first step in a months-long process. Okay, blah, blah, blah. One of the main differences between caucuses, or caucai, and primaries is the amount of time allotted for voting to occur and the methods by which people can vote. In a primary, people can show up at the polls and cast ballots throughout Election Day from early morning until polls close in the evening. They have the option of casting an absentee ballot if they can't make it to the polls. Um, The Iowa caucuses, on the other hand, are held in the evening and voters must attend in person in order to participate, except in a very few isolated instances. Caucuses are run by political parties, uh, not by the state. Um, The Democrats have gone to a mail-in voting process, so their results are not going to be known until March. (laughs) Yeah, just straight up ballot harvesting. (laughs) It's not even, they're not even trying. Um, so Iowa's got 40 delegates and those, um, those delegates then get apportioned based on whatever proportion you win. So let's say Trump wins 50% of the vote. He would get 50% of the 40 delegates. So he would get 20 delegates. Okay. Uh, and there's no minimum there. So if if you get enough to get one delegate, you're going to get one delegate. Okay. Um, but it's a really, really tiny state. It only represents less than 2% of all the delegates. So it, this is not going to put you over the top as far as the delegate count goes, right? Um, Dan says, Pete, there is a very real possibility that Trump was exercising an abundance of caution not to slap Vivek Ramaswamy with a nickname so as to not be labeled as a racist and indophobe or whatever else the the left and the media uh, but I repeat myself might label him that's true he may not have wanted to give Vivek a uh, a nickname yeah you go you better make darn sure that there's no double meaning no way to misinterpret it but I don't think he would care I actually I don't I don't I do not think Donald Trump would even care about that no I think Vivek Ramaswamy has been there for a cabinet post 
and to split anti-Trump votes. I think that's what he was there for, to give uh, people more options, just like we had in 2016, where we had like 1,400 candidates and all of the all of the votes got dispersed, diffused, and Trump ends up, you know, taking the early states because he was pulling in 35 percent, you know? I think that's why Vivek has been in this race. I mean, it seems pretty, it seems pretty clear to me. Benji Sarlin at Semaphore. He says you could spend thousands of words on how Trump and his allies laid the groundwork for a comeback in Iowa and how his opponents stumbled on tactics or strategy, but it's the way voters have continued to identify with his legal struggles that has defined the race. The rest is details. Trump's rivals are still desperately looking for an effective counter to the idea that Trump is a fallen martyr who has to be resurrected with Republican votes. Right? Yeah. His numbers went up. His support went up when he got indicted. And the more indictments came down, the more his support hardened. Thanks to his 2016 victory, Republicans have spent seven years developing an elaborate framework and vocabulary to explain away his problems. The deep state, weaponized government, partisan prosecutors, and his base has fully internalized this. If candidates are not able to challenge Republican voters' assumptions that the last three years featured a traitorous plot to steal the 2020 election, followed by a multi-pronged conspiracy to jail and harass Trump ahead of the 24 election, then it's hard to argue Trump's legal issues are some irrelevant distraction. Right, they are not. It's not an irrelevant distraction. Speaking of the prosecutions, we've got a development in the uh, Fannie Willis story. We'll take a look at the. We'll all right. We'll take. We'll listen to her comments. There we go. We'll listen to what she had to say this weekend. Up next. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply. At CarolinaReadiness.com, whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at CarolinaReadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out fulton county district attorney fanny willis on sunday defended the special prosecutor that she has been sleeping with allegedly overseeing the donald trump election interference case amid bombshell allegations that the two are having an improper relationship speaking publicly for the first time since last week's court filing accused her of hiring a romantic partner to help prosecute the former president Willis told the congregation at Big Bethel AME Church that attorney Nathan Wade is a legal superstar who is uniquely qualified for the role. Uniquely qualified. There's nobody else that could do this job for her. Which might be true. That might be true. I mean, the guy has no experience prosecuting federal RICO cases. But as I understand it, if the allegations are correct... There's another component to the nature of the relationship. And so to have somebody able to do the legal work, but also the, the personal work, like that's, and, and, and travel is required, right? 
multiple cruises and such. She never addressed his name, never said his name, but just referred to him as a great friend and a great lawyer and said he is paid the same hourly rate as the other two special prosecutors hired to assist with the case. She did not deny or confirm that the two are romantically involved. But I know that's what the the Atlanta Journal constipation says, but um, I feel like she kind of did. I feel like she kind of did acknowledge that. You t- well, here, take a listen. The audio is kind of room quality audio, not great. But what do you think? All the glory I receive, it's his grace. Yeah. Not a perfect me. We are at a time in history, people. Hear me on this. We are at a time in history when you can no longer sit back and just let other folks do it. You cannot expect black women to be perfect and save the world. Wait, what? The Lord is completing us. We are not perfect. Mm-mm. We need your prayers. Okay. We need to be allowed to stumble. Oh. We need grace. With that kind of support, we will move mountains and do Jesus' will. Stumbling all the way. Okay, so like I'm going to read that because her whole speech was, she described it as a letter she wrote to God and then delivered as a speech, as one does. So this is a speech to God. And she's saying, like, Black women need to be able to stumble all the way. We're going to make mistakes. It kind of sounds like she's acknowledging the relationship. Last week's court filing from a defendant, former Trump campaign operative Michael Roman, alleges that Willis hired Wade after they became romantically involved and that Wade, a private attorney, paid for vacations he took with Willis using the Fulton County funds that his law firm got for the work on the case. The document did not include any concrete evidence, but indicated that some relevant information is included in Wade's divorce proceedings, but those are sealed, and so they're trying to get them opened. He has been paid $650,000 in legal fees in a year. Critics of the Trump probe have seized on the news because that is obviously what people on the right do. It's if they're not pouncing, they're seizing. So they seized on this news to question her judgment and frame the case as irreparably tainted, which it would be, obviously. Um, The other two prosecutors on the case, though, um, John Floyd and Anna Green Cross, and they are both white. And Willis told the congregation that, notice, they only attacked one of the special prosecutors. First thing they say is, oh, she's going to play the race card now. But no, God, isn't it them that's playing? See, this is a letter she wrote to God, so she's like, this is how she talks to God? Really? Okay. But no, God, isn't it them that's playing the race card when they only question one? Isn't it them playing the race card when they constantly think I need someone from some other jurisdiction in some other state to tell me how to do a job I've been doing almost 30 years? So the first thing I thought was, hang on, is she also stooping the other two special prosecutors she brought in? Is she sleeping with all three of them? Because that's, that, that's actually the, the charge. It's, it's, it's not 
a race-based charge. They're not going after Wade because of his race. They're going after Wade because he's sleeping with you and you've paid him $650,000 in taxpayer funds and he's used that money to take you on trips. Oh, and by the way, total amount paid to the other two? The dude got forty-three grand, and I'm sorry, the dude got seventy-three grand for his work, and the woman got forty-three grand. So total, total, they're at like a hundred eleven, hundred and twelve thousand. So this one guy has made like six times as much as the other two people. So if you're going to say it's about race and avoid the the stooping part, then. Um, Are you paying him because of his race? Are you engaged in some discrimination here? You should be sleeping with all of them, I think.